Hello, and welcome to the Floating Blue Podcast, the official podcast of the International Street and Ball Hockey Federation. My name's Ben Royal, and I'm excited to be hosting the first ever series of the Floating Blue Podcast, in which we'll be bringing you up to date on the biggest news stories and catching up with the biggest names in the ball hockey world. The Floating Blue Podcast is an ISBHF production, hosted by myself, Ben Royal, produced by Sambrook Wilkinson, and overseen by the ISBHF secretary, David Tor. All opinions shared on the Floating Blue podcast are those of the individual that shares them, and not of the ISPHF. So without further ado, welcome to the Floating Blue. Ball hockey in Bermuda dates back about 30 years. In 2001, the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association made its ISBHF World Championship debut. The nation has also played host to a Masters World Championships and is hoping to host international tournaments in the years to come. In the build-up to Laval 2022, I caught up with three major figures within the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association. So I'm joined by three representatives of the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association. Gentlemen, if you'd like to introduce yourselves, starting with you, Ryan. Sure. So uh, my proper name is Ryan Sully. Um, no one actually knows my first name, though, so you can just call me Sully. I've, uh, I've lived in Bermuda for nearly a decade now, and uh, I'm the current president of the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association, though, uh, though I'm probably on the lower end of the skill level. It's, uh, it's just such a great community. That I love part of it however I can. Brilliant. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being on the lower end of the skill level, I can assure you. <laughs> uh, moving on to Matty. I am Mathieu Jardin. I'm actually one of those French Canadians living in Bermuda. I've uh, been on the island similarly to Sully probably since 2007. And I went back a little bit in Montreal for a few years and uh, brought the family back. So I'm involved in hockey since we came back in 2014 and uh, yeah, trying to help Sully manage all the guys uh, at the rink. Brilliant. And finally, Mark. Yeah, hi, hi guys. It's uh, it's Mark Heinzman. I've been in Bermuda about over twenty years, so I'm the old guy around and uh, helped uh, you know from Toronto and um, and just as you'll see, there's been mostly Canadians down here um, and uh, just great place to hang out and get to meet a whole bunch of new people coming to the island and uh, and a great way to spend the time together. And so yeah, well that's that's sort of my my background. Sometimes they call me Heine. I'm not sure why Heinekens because. <laughs> Because of the beer drinking afterwards, or what it is, but yeah, it's all good fun. Brilliant. So we'll just by jump name in. and by nature, it's a dual purpose. <laughs> so we'll just jump on to three quick icebreakers, and we'll go in the same order. So starting with you, Ryan, and we'll literally just name the first person that comes to mind. So out of the three of you, who would last longest on a desert island? <laughs> uh that would be Heine, no doubt he's the more resourceful positive optimistic human i know and uh he, he he'd probably be dead long before he even knew it because he wouldn't get in anyone going to disagree with that negative i, I think exactly i agree fair enough there we are and then individually this can be anyone you've ever played with so not necessarily anyone on this call who would you pick to live with on a desert island We'll start, we'll, go, we'll start with you, honey. Oh, Maddie, man. He's awesome. This guy is like uh, just, again, another fun, loving guy and resourceful, always coming up with new ideas. 
So, um, yeah, it was a, it's, it's incredible between well, actually the three of us are, are the ingenuity and the, uh, the things that we're coming up with every day, um, bringing this organization along. And that's really what we would do. We're almost on a desert island, right? There's only 60,000 people here. So <laughs> it's almost like. Almost. So, Ryan, we'll go to you. Who would you pick? I think with my stomach first. So, I, I had to pick one of the, uh, the the chefs that have played in our league before. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, that'd be my my thought process. Yeah, that, that's a very wise decision, I think. And Matty, uh, I mean, it's tough to tough to not choose Heine after he picked me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, the rest I, of the I, interview might have been awkward if you had picked anyone else. Exactly. But, no, I do believe. I I I think along the lines of what Heine is saying, like. Uh, you know, we, we're obviously a few boys at the top, but this league is, is all about meeting the new guys. I think one of the things that Heine does, does very, very well is, you know, when there's new people on the island and joining the league. And, you know, the more fun part of it, obviously we like play hockey, but the more fun part of the, the night, or the, like tonight or Fred and I were going to go to the rink, is, you know, afterwards with beers and getting to know, you know, the boys in finance. You know, we're all in reinsurance here, but... Uh, you know, we got some construction guys, we got some, you know, investment guys, and it's a good group of people, actually. No, that's amazing. And then final icebreaker question. Of the three of you, three Canadians living in Bermuda, who gets the most sunburnt? Who do we reckon? <laughs> well, I, 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 I is always on his boat, and suddenly retired, so I, I would vote for Heine. I would have if if it weren't for the fact that I am a, a very fair-skinned ginger, uh, ah. and, and I'm probably getting sunburned right now because I'm sitting outside. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine how much I'd get sunburned living there. Don't worry, David Tor. We probably weren't mentioning that David Tor at, at the Masters. And oh, we got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that because it's actually an ISDHF podcast, but. Uh, Oh no, go ahead. <laughs> David will listen to this before it even goes out. Go ahead. Uh, pretty much it took a day off. I, I, I think he had like, a, I'm not sure you call it in English, like a, a, a sunburn. Heat strokes. Heat like, stroke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, and, and I've heard on your other podcast, two people talking about the Masters in Bermuda. I think a few people underestimated uh, how hot it can get, and, and particularly the humidity here sometimes. But uh, yeah. it's, it's part of the game here. It's the outdoor rink. Yeah, you're really sort of opening yourself up to the climate, which, which makes it so special as well. But I think I might, I might have joined David on, a, like, on the hospital bed with heat stroke, potentially. So moving on, how did each of you end up moving to Bermuda and then getting involved in the local hockey community? Uh, Matt, we'll start with you, if that's all right. Oh, yeah, he uh, came to the island... At, for KPMG actually, so it's one of the big fours here in Bermuda, and uh, you know quite quite a few guys actually at the time were were playing in the league in the rink. Sorry, apologies. It was not a rink. We were literally at that time playing in a small gym, which was about I don't know one minute walk from from the KPMG office. Okay. And then one night it was like a Friday night, and this this uh, Evan Garnett, an accounting tax guy. Right. We'll probably rank Chad Critchley, which was one of our old captains. And yeah, they were like, just come out, you know, kind of like similar what we were talking about, like the, this whole, uh, you know, spirit of just, just coming out. And, you know, obviously there's some teams and some rules and subs, all that stuff, but they were like, you know, just come out and have fun. And, um, 
yeah, I guess reinsurance brought me here, but, uh, you know, first few years played, wasn't involved in, in helping out, but then you sort of realized that everybody did their part. Um, and, and we got involved uh, yeah, a few years on the road to try and, you know, is it scheduling? <laughs> you know, there's always something uh, every week, uh, you know, the injury because of the rink that's too wet or uh, <laughs> there's always something that pops up. I guess that's why I all started in 07. That was in 07. Amazing. Yeah, so 15 years in in that environment. I, I mean, I'm right. certainly jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously, Heine will talk about the rink, but, you know, he, I, we, we could maybe share pictures because if we go in our old Bermuda Sun paper, you could see screen, not screenshot, but photos um, oh, yeah. of, 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 of the gym where literally you had posts you know, back in the days, we had injuries. Those guys were hitting their heads. Steel beams down the side or benches oh. in the wide open part of the arena. Like the ball lands on the bench, just you now first to touch it, gets to play it. And just yeah. gives a stick length. There'd be uh, puddles of water. So, like a, a pile of towels in the middle of the gym floor <laughs> in the middle of the game if it rained. It was, it was a big step up when we got there. Yeah, yeah certainly. So that's that sounds like it was really sort of taking hockey back to the basics and right, it was it was four on four. Jeez, the guys with good shots could actually score with a really small gym. So the guys could score for the from one one end to another if you had a good, good shot. Oh. Goalies, you know, goalies didn't have a chance. Oh, yeah. I mean the the floor was nearly the same color as the ball. The lights were really dim. It was just take your best guess. That's amazing. But you know, everybody loved it. Everybody loved going. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So and the that, fact that it was so popular then, I think, experience. speaks to the how much everyone loved it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. Because it was still really popular and a lot of fun. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and then, Heine, how about you? How did you end up moving to the island? I got a call. Someone said, hey, you want to do what you're doing, but go down and do it in Bermuda. And so it was like, oh, okay, well, let's go find out what's going on. Big, bigger companies, like more, it's a financial center. So yeah. And it was like, okay, I come down. I came down with three kids. So I had to get special exemption from uh, the minister, immigration minister. And uh, anyway, so I, I didn't play hockey for a while. It wasn't really organized back then as much. And so, um, you know, just would be pick up here and there on a Friday night right. up at an old tennis court, rundown tennis court. And they actually, I think they used to do rollerblading way back when like 30 40 years ago and then they used to have live bands that played at the end of the rink oh wow and, uh, so this rink just it's just you know it's like it's surrounded on water by water on three sides so it's sitting out on a peninsula 50 feet high off the off the water and you get the most amazing sunsets uh moon's coming up um basically so it's a spectacular location and um anyway so we that, that's sort of where we started that that whole area and it was just an ideal spot to just to hang out on a friday night bring your own beers and just sort of sit around and meet some guys who you don't normally spend time with so yeah it sounds that's, amazing that's sort of how it grew yeah yeah a very strong community which comes across really well and then sully finally how did you come to move and then get involved in the hockey as well yeah Pretty similar story as, as I need to be honest with you. I was uh, I was working for a company in Halifax in Canada, actually. And uh, that company did a lot of work in the insurance industry in Bermuda. And they came to me one day and said, hey, would you think of moving to Bermuda? And I think before they finished the question, I was already booking my flight. 
was, uh, I, yeah. I already knew some people down here. It was a really easy decision to make. Um, and, and before I moved down here, even before I moved down here, the stories of this ball hockey league in Bermuda, I already knew about them because I, I was oh, wow. working in Halifax and people who had lived here before. And so, uh, so even before I moved down here, I was already emailing people asking to get involved. And, uh, and I was very fortunate enough to play that year in the gym. It was the last year in the gym and, uh, and be part of uh, the inaugural season at, at what is now our rink. Um, Amazing. You know, I played played a few seasons and and eventually just fell in love with it so much. I had to get involved with the executive because when you when you care about something that much, you you want to give back to the community as well. I think so. That um, it was a, it was just really easy to get involved with. It was so inclusive and well. Yeah, that's I mean, amazing. As as someone who's moving to a a new country and you know practically no one, and you know you you come to your first ball hockey game and all of a sudden you've got 120 friends. It just like yeah. immediately. Yeah, that's amazing. And you were able to be part of history as well, getting that last year in the gym. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it sort of leads on perfect perfectly. Like I feel like everyone listening to this has probably seen photos of the rink. It's so picturesque and frankly an unbelievable place to play hockey, I can imagine. How did that come about? Like, how do you even think to build a rink in that environment? Well, I'll give you a bit of background because I've been here probably the longest. But yeah, we, start, we started playing out there. Again, probably 25 years ago, there were guys that, that uh, you know, I knew that had played out there. And, and then I started playing there. And then as we got more in members, we said, well, oh, wouldn't it be great to play even if it rained? So we found uh, the gym and went into the gym and then realized it's so small. It was only 100, 108 feet, I think, by 50 feet. So right. pretty small in, in ball hockey terms. And yet, um, you know, we'd also play roller hockey and we'd have kids roller hockey out on the out, outside at the, at the outside rink. Okay. And so so um, one of the, one of the presidents of the kids leagues, this guy's named Tom McNeil, he was playing and, and uh, we were playing roller hockey one night and uh, unfortunately had a heart attack and he passed away. So that shook the whole community. This guy was in super great shape. He was like, you know, was hella skiing two weeks early or, and um, basically comes, you know, has a heart attack and dies. And all of a sudden we ended up raising some money. We raised about $300,000 in some fundraisers wow. to basically build the new rink. And what, you know, cause he and I played together and we helped coach the kids. Um, and, you know, before he died, like, months before he goes wouldn't it be great to build the rink and expand it so i said yeah let me go try and see what i could ask you know works in engineering because it's actually in a park and the park said yeah no problem so next thing you know we're on our way trying to get this thing approved and get it done well ultimately it took us seven years to get approvals from the government to build it but we ended All up right. you know getting, getting the uh, boards from the nhl suppliers up and up and on in Canada and we built the rank and brought it down and we finally finished that in about 2012 expanded the size of it so it's like a hundred minimum size for international tournaments which I think is 162 by 85 right um, feet and so that raising that money and then we put in the sport court floor so it wasn't just on pure cement because um, we used to be able to go, we used to go through sticks like they'd last yeah. three games and then you'd have to get a new one. 
Yeah, yeah. Obviously, no suppliers here on the island. Yeah, and then as as we started to grow, you know, indoor it, it got a lot more people, and then when it came back outdoors, you know, this group when I started was probably ten or twenty guys hanging around, and maybe five guys or ten guys would show up, and now we've got one hundred and twenty that play. Wow. In the league signed up. Yep. That's amazing. And we all pay like 500 bucks and 400 bucks goes towards beer. Let's make sure that that's <laughs> and the, the rest of it goes towards jerseys and equipment. There's a, there's a funny, funny side of this, this rink also. Uh, I think with, with the Masters, Heine, so Heine built the rink. Obviously, they're a big rink, but uh, when the Masters came down, um, we realized with the schedule that we would need a, a few extra games. So Heine literally took over building a second rink uh, oh, okay. in what we call dockyards. But, you know, and inside, it was inside one of those uh, America's Cup, which is our, the boating race that came to Bermuda a few years back. And uh, I, I think, Heine, you bought some boards again from off island and, and shipped them in. Um, that, was a, that was a fun one. And the boys could go to, to, to that hockey game in dockyards by, by ferry. And I, I still wow. remember a lot of communication. A lot of communication. The guys were were sort of so frustrated pre-tournament at, at the fact that they would play one of the called it six games in, in, in a small rink because it's obviously a, a lot smaller rink. But then when they came down, the combination of the, the actual real rink where they played plus the ferry ride to this this, this small venue, which is well, I don't know, like a twenty-minute ferry ride. Like, you know, everything was fine. But I thought building the second rink, uh, you know, again, was falling on Heine's shoulders. Yeah, that sounds amazing. To travel for a game for ferry. I mean, if you're seasick, it's not the, not the best game day preparation, but it's part of the climate again. Well, well don't, a few boys actually, so, so we obviously had the advantage of practicing there. Of course. A few... And I think a few boys actually came by boat. Like I remember, I think Matt Benson and I think Loper came in a boat as well. Like it was, you know, it kind of, kind of, um, yeah, special. The, 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 we, we, we as Team Bermuda played Canada. That game got totally destroyed. The boys were obviously pretty good. There. I think they won it all. But the picture made the front page of the paper the next day, where we took the, the we took a picture on the pier. Like of both teams, oh, wow. sort of. Um, I think it was a pretty, yeah, it was a pretty good picture. Anyway, sorry, yeah, it's amazing. No, no, that, that's really interesting. That's amazing. Uh, and then Heidi, you touched on it there with the growth of the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association. So, with about 120 players, how many teams are there? What's the structure of the league or competitions or anything like that? Sully, do you want to maybe go on that? Yeah, sure. So. Um... Uh, just to back up a second, I guess. I mean, we we run a couple of leagues. We've got uh, the ball hockey league. We've got a, a separate inline league that runs in the okay. summer. We've got uh, kids inline league. We've got a kids ball hockey league. We're, we're trying Amazing. to get you know the, uh, the the sport to grow in that sense. But I mean, the the core of it really is um, the ball hockey league, which which runs your 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 regular schedule of October through April or May, uh, weather permitting. We right now with 120 people would like to run, I'd say eight teams. We stretched it out a little bit as much as we could to nine this year, just because of COVID. We wanted smaller groups. Um, 
we might be able to keep nine if, if we can convince nine goalies to suit up for us again next season because right. frankly we, we're continuing to grow more participants are signing up every year it's which is just i think a function of, of you know word of mouth people telling new people of the island hey you're new here you've got to come play this and and we're, we're, we're extremely welcoming, I would say, very inclusive. I mean, it's, it's men and women, it's people of all ages. You know, we, we've had teenagers and, and certainly people in their 60s playing on the same team before. Um, and that's, that's where things are right now. And, and you know, we, we'd like to moderately grow that. I'd, I'd say we call it measured growth in the sense that uh, we, we don't want to outgrow ourselves, but we also want to try to focus going forward on um, bringing up the skill level of people who have sure. just come to the game. There are quite a few of them, um, probably myself included. I never played ball hockey before I came to Bermuda. Uh, okay. than, you know, a couple of games out on the street with my friends when I was a kid. Um, but there's that. And, and there's also, we need to focus more on, on growing the game on, uh, on the kids' side and, and welcoming people to the game uh, when they're young and, and particularly Bermudians. Yeah, that's a really important point because I was going to ask sort of what the what the junior setup is, especially with Bermuda having quite a large Canadian population. How do you then pass that on to Bermudians? So, what is the process with that? Is it sort of like school visits or anything like that, or is it literally just word of mouth? Uh, right now, the kids league um, is is in the early days. I mean, COVID um, yeah has course. slowed things down an awful lot, to be honest with you. But um, we've done school visits but it's really started with children of canadian parents who are here or american um certainly that grew frankly very quickly to um you know children of, of bermudian born and bred parents as well and it's a really great mix of kids now um and we're trying to start at a at a quite young age we do two groups um kind of a younger and older group but but generally speaking you know under the age of 12 and we're hoping to, 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 to grow that as much as we can and, and kind of create a love for the game and a passion early that they can continue on with. Um, you know, the, the reality is we've got a lot of constraints here. As, as Heine mentioned, we've, we've got a total population of 60,000 people, you know, and yeah. uh, right now 120 of those play ball hockey. And we don't even have a place on the island that sells the equipment. Everything we we order in in bulk as a as a mm. league we'll put through an order that'll get shipped to the island so we we do have a number of constraints and and just the transient nature of people people will live here th for three years and then move or, right. or bermudians will you know because there are no universities here they'll go to university um in the states or in canada or in the uk typically and um it's 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 about getting around those constraints to grow the, the game here i think yeah, we've had some kids who've actually, you know, come up through the, the kids' leagues and are now playing with us in men's league, which is really great, really great. We yeah, that's amazing. We want to include as many people in, in the Bermudians as, as we possibly can. So um, we try to encourage, and, and we actually have a few women as well, too, that play, and we really encourage that. And it's fantastic just to get, it's a community event. It's not about winning. It's about community. And yeah, that's back to, you know, to get, get get people to get out there and, because you can either go to the bar and drink all night long, or you can come and play hockey, get a little exercise, and then drink. That's the both worlds.
I think uh, so. Bringing in Bermudians into playing comes back to a point which we visited on basically every episode of the podcast so far, which is that ball hockey benefits massively from being so accessible that you're not obviously it's different in Bermuda having to order kit in from off the island, but in terms of you're not ordering skates in, you don't have to worry about ice. It's so much cheaper and it's so much more accessible. And I think it's a great example that hopefully in the next few years you'll continue to grow a junior program which will include loads of like sort of born and bred Bermudians. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then that's really um why we're like quickly became successful in drawing in um, Bermudian children into to our junior program because mm. it was a, frankly a very low price point and we're subsidizing it as much as we can as well on top of that. But sport can be um you know anywhere I would say for children, but but particularly in Bermuda's you know, typically rated one of the most expensive places in the world to live, it can be, you know, prohibitive for a parent to get their kids involved in organized sport. So, so we're trying to subsidize that as much as we can. And, you know, like you say, ball hockey, it's, it's not starting from a point where it's prohibitively expensive. You don't need, you know, to rent the ice time for mm. hundreds of dollars an hour sort of thing. And and all the equipment per child aside from that. Yeah. And, and you know, if somebody is in need, We'll, we'll just make sure that they have enough equipment. So you come in with your running shoes, the guy's ready to, to run, you'll give them a stick, we'll give them a helmet and, and uh, elbow pads and you know the safety equipment that they need and away they go. So try it out and enjoy it. And we'll help them and support them throughout their career. Yeah, that's amazing. It's really That important. sounds brilliant. Really important. So is it sort of shift into an organizational point of view. What are each of your day-to-day tasks as part of the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association? What would an average week look like? We'll start with you, Matty. I, I think the, the bulk of the work, uh, you know, um, you know, I'd sell like chipping right there. Uh, I think leading up to a draft, I, in which, which is uh, the single night of the year that the boys uh, prefer by a mile, where we all gather at, the, uh, at our outback, our, our sports bar and basically pick the teams for that year i think leading leading oh amazing that we, um you know it's probably probably worth talking just about that because it's, it's, it's a fun that, night but that, uh, that's a good point let's just stop yeah. and, and talk about that for a second because that, yeah, that's a sure. good point that every single year we make brand new teams like there are no keeper teams and wow. we have a a wildly overcomplicated complex draft system way way more than it needs to be uh, because how we, how so? <laughs> well, there's there are certain tiers of players. Oh, okay. Certain salary cap. Every team has the same amount of fake money that you can spend. Oh, oh okay. That sounds really interesting. That sounds like my sort of thing. Some of the guys <laughs> blow it all on one guy, and you know, so, so they're out of money for the exactly. rest of the top guys. Yeah. There's, there's like a there's a bluffing aspect that that night where you have call it like eight captains that go against each other and trying to, you know, bid on, let's say on Mark Heinzman, but you know, Mark Heinzman, maybe uh, I really want him. So you set aside a bit of money for him, but uh, you know, then you have guys who are like, all right, well, Maddie, you know, I drafted Heine about a million times in the past. So he's good. So they're bluff, bluff the guys up. Right. But then yeah. you, you get caught with your bluff, obviously. So it's, it's awesome. That's amazing. Then, that sounds brilliant. So the, the, 
I would say just as the implications of this kind of a, uh, an auctioning process is that that enemy last year is now your teammate or, you know, exactly. the guys yeah. you're playing with and now, now, you know, and they're on the same team, now they're gone, they're on a different team. So every team is completely different. And so what happens is that if you, you never hold grudges because amazing. It's, it's a whole new environment and everybody gets along with each other. And, and that really comes out when after every game that, you know, we'll have beers behind the, behind the, uh, the bench and everybody mingles together and it's really good. Very, very important. And it's unique. You never see this in any other sport. I, I haven't seen it that, you know, where, where it's everybody puts their name in the hat and then your name's yeah. getting picked out of the hat to, to decide which team. Yeah, Everyone gets picked. Um, and it is like, that's, that's how I describe it. It's, it's a league of people. It, it's not a group of teams that play. In yeah, the same yeah. That's amazing. And that must have such an impact going to world championships when there's no sort of factions within the national team if everyone's played with near enough everyone. Yeah, that's about right. I, I think you, you get a few captains on, on each of the team that, uh, you know, get some good connections also. Uh, mm. and, and then when you go, you know, to the, the world and all that stuff, like, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky. They, you know, you schedule the, we were talking to Frank Chanu from, from Montreal for this year's world. And he was basically saying that Team Canada Masters team, I think, you know, met maybe once over a weekend, a month before the event here. Literally, if we wanted, all right, you know, just last week, our captain Etsy, um, you know, the weather was looking terrible for the end of the week. And it was like, all right, it's Tuesday night. Boom, text to the boys. Are you, you have 20 guys to go out to practice. Then, you know, jump on your scooter. You go home, you have a five, 10 minute scooter ride, get your stuff in. Boom, we have a practice. So I, I think yeah. um, the camaraderie and the, the of this island helps a lot because when you go off island, the boys, boys are pretty tight versus, don't get me wrong, a lot less talent than a Team Canada, obviously. But, you know, where we make up, um, we, where we don't have that talent, we, we are a lot closer because just, you know, Team Canada, you know, you have guys from Vancouver playing with guys in Montreal that they probably never met before the tournament. Here we, we live five minutes apart, 10 minutes apart. So, comes back to the the real sense of community that the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association sort of I imagine prides itself on it's really obvious and clear that it is about the community and like you said Sully it's a league of people it's not a group of teams yeah yeah totally which is good and and what's even good is that better is sort of like the guys that you know call it those hundred guys you go downtown and you're you're walking around the street you're walking into at least one or two at any time you go in there. Doesn't matter what. If you want to go out on Friday night, yeah, you don't for have sure. to call up your friends. You just go show up at a bar and you'll see all the guys there. Right. Yeah. Or you go, you know, go out on the water and you'll meet them on the boat and they'll, you know, you raft up together. And so it's, it's makes, makes it easier. It becomes your, your family, your, your yeah. surrogate family, because, you know, all of us have other families back in call it Canada or the States or other places generally. And yet, the people that we see every weekend are the our friends here, our ball friends, and, and, and ball probably transfers into jobs, right? Heine and you know, geez, always at frontier now. Like and the last um, two jobs I've had have been through this league. Yeah. Oh, that way on. And 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 you know, half the people in our league probably have the same story. Frankly, interesting though, if you're if you're 
a son of a gun and nobody likes you, <laughs> you don't get your work permit renewed too often and go to a new job because everybody knows who you are and they don't want you. Right? <laughs> if you're really wow. a mean guy or whatever, they don't usually last too long. So, <laughs> I need an exception to this because <laughs> it's probably top top three dirtiest player in the league for the last 10 years. But, yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's always uh, probably one of the top guys to be picked on a, on a team just because uh, uh, bench presence. Just love the guy. <laughs> So, like building on from that, we spoke about the the closeness of the group when you go away for world championships. I don't know if one of you wants to lead this, whether you want sort of split it up between you, but what has the previous experiences of Bermuda at the World Championships been? And we'll obviously focus on the Masters tournament which you hosted. Uh, Hi, I don't know if you want to oh, well, go on, go on. I was gonna say, Stoli, why don't you chime in with the um the, the dress code that you guys uh, had. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, it's, that's, that's uh, one of the most important rules when our team goes right. away to a tournament. Uh, when we go on tour, we call it, uh, you've got to wear your number ones after the game, to the game and after the game. So number ones are your, uh, your Bermuda shorts with right. your knee socks, dress okay. shoes, blazer, tie, the whole nine yards and um you know for example when, when i went away with the team to uh to switzerland in 2015 to zoo <laughs> we we didn't do great in terms of um where we ended on the table in the tournament but we did walk away with an award for best dressed team uh, oh, so, there we are. Uh, I, I do like vividly recall being called up on stage with the whole team uh, and, and do a big bow to the whole, <laughs> the whole group of people in the uh, the tournament, and uh, and it, it's it's great. It, it means you're immediately recognizable as being part of Team Bermuda. People coming up and introducing themselves all the time, and uh, it just makes the tournament a lot of fun. Frankly, yeah, that's amazing. That's brilliant. I um I asked around uh, for a few of the, the the older guys on on comments on past worlds, uh, Ben. And I, I think the one that came back the most obviously, and it, you know, guys, probably every week you hear in the ring talk about the but the 2013 in St. John's where the boys won the beat pool. Uh, yeah, that one comes out quite often. Um, and then, so that was a pretty big success for uh, for Bermuda as a whole. Um, what that created was another um, call it anecdote that the few guys emailed about was by winning that beat pool. They, uh, we, we we got placed into the hay pool for yeah. um, 2015 one, and the game opener was uh, Bermuda versus Swiss. So uh, obviously, oh, wow. and uh, yeah, the boys kept it uh, pretty Straight tight. Straight in at the deep zero end. zero until very late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> well, they kept it zero zero. And yeah, yeah, that, really that's well, amazing. Our, our, our goalie and the um, you know front of. About five thousand people. And I had no clue what the exact number was, but oh, it was. It was I think it was over six. Might have been six and a half. It yeah, was amazing. It's just unbelievable. Way more than the 10, 12 <laughs> people we get on a lucky yeah. night in Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I, I think that's probably the best souvenir that uh, Team Bermuda, I've gathered from the boys. Talked about the first one in Toronto, two thousand and one. So that was the the first first Bermuda event. Um, I think not, not, now the boys try to do the world, the masters, but also like uh, 
a few years, a few of the U.S. tournaments. Oh, okay, yeah. Philly, and you know, improve the skills of the guys also. Some good quality, uh, you know, outside talent. Honey, are you going to jump in there? Oh no! Other than to say that Maddie was the guy who came up with the idea to bring the Masters to Bermuda. So oh, okay. He organized it with George. And, interviewed and made sure it happened and made it work and it was like oh boy okay so then all of a sudden we all jumped in and says okay let's make this work now so yeah yeah, well done, yeah. yeah. that was that, that was something else that you know yes i i came up with the idea but the the amount of work that every single person in the bvha put um heine was what i call the coo was sort of you know the, you know organizing everything slowly i think wasn't Angie like, all right, I cannot hear about the Masters anymore at the end of the tournament, <laughs> like with your spreadsheet of the volunteers. Oh, my God. Um, it's just like a thousand text messages and emails every single day. It was, uh, but it was, it was, it was fun to see people coming to the island and, and you know, take advantage of that rink. I, I think we're all very proud of the rink. And um, you know, sharing it with the community was was, was a lot of fun because everybody really enjoyed it. But it was it was a team effort. God, you know, yeah. we all have nine to five jobs, and probably most of the guys in this league are probably more of a twelve hour workday than a eight hour workday. And then pile on on top of that that the boys, uh, you know, were meetings on it, you know, twice a week sometimes at that Heine's office, or <laughs> shore or. Oh, it, 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 it was fun. It was demanding, like, it was so much fun. It was yeah. leading up to it. I was like, I was so anxious about it because, you know, we could have bad weather and then we'd have to play more games in that little tiny temporary rink that yeah. we had. And uh, it, it did rain like only once, but a torrential downpour. And Heine's running out on the floor, <laughs> ripping up floor tiles. He's got the shop back going. We had towels donated from one of the hotels, and just sopping everything up we could have. And it, it ended up only being like a, I don't know, a 30 minute delay in the whole schedule oh, the whole week. It was, it was incredible. And then yeah, on top brilliant. of that, too, um, during and after the tournament, when we had our big, you know, end of tournament party and an award ceremony getting to talk to um, everyone who had, who had flown out and, and, and coming yeah, yeah. here for the tournament after being through it all and just hearing literally everyone say at least to the very least, the most unique tournament that they have ever been on for hockey and probably the best because it was yeah. so much fun and getting to hear that. And, uh, and also, I, I mean, it was referenced uh, the other day and, and when I was listening to one of your other previous podcasts, I think, um, uh, the guys from Greece were talking about it. And, right. Oh, uh, it was uh, it was so worth it. And it, I would I would love if it became a more regular event for us. Uh, something like maybe the Pro Bowl, where I mean, like everyone comes to oh, the yeah. for, for an event because it's uh, it's definitely the situation where we can field our best team as well, right? Because when you're the host, yeah, sure. you know, people who can't afford to go on tour or or you know they they just can't get the time off work suddenly. It, um, your your you know your pool of available players just grows dramatically so i think uh you know we had a really good team for that tournament and i'm certainly really proud of the way they played and, and we had a lot of fans come out to watch them and it, uh, it was a great thing for the whole island yeah that's sounds... a lot of great exposure here and uh probably contributed oh, yeah, to to the growth of the kids league to be honest yeah i, I can only imagine i think it's 
it's amazing. I know when we hosted, when GB hosted Sheffield 2016 with Junior World Championships, we had like school visits, come and watch a few games and stuff. And that did have an impact on kids in the local area signing up. So I can only imagine what it's like, especially considering where the hockey was being played. It, that must have been amazing. So how many teams was it that came over and joined into the tournament? I'm going to throw out 16, uh, but I don't remember. I, there was a women, women division. Oh, okay. yeah, there, there was four women's teams, I think. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Sully, Sully, you just made me, sorry, I'm going to do another anecdote. But I think during the finals, I, I, we're on, sitting on the side with George, and George is like, Maddie, it won't rain, right? It won't rain. And I'm like, you know, when you look at the radar, Bermuda is like a small island, and, you know, it can say it's going to rain on the on the on the calls in, on your phone, but if the, the rain cloud misses the the island, you know, it sometimes it just doesn't. Say, <laughs> oh, just a little better. speck out in the middle of the ocean, exactly. twenty square miles. I mean, a rain cloud can miss us pretty easily, but when it yeah. hits, <laughs> yeah, Jordan's yeah. like the boys need to play on the dry surface. I'm like, ah, you know what, Jordan? I don't think we control any of that. But, uh, <laughs> the final was was very. Uh, very dry. I think it was actually a great game. Final was great. That's amazing. Yeah. Who was up between? Can you remember? Canada versus Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we are. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I can only George is a difficult person to to disagree with. If he if he starts saying that it's got to be dry, then you you don't want to be the oh. one to tell him that it's gonna rain. Oh, believe me, we uh, you, you know yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting point because even in our league right now, we're in this, so the tournament was, was not actually in February, but right now we're struggling to get games in because humidity, they, some, if it rains at lunch, sometimes it doesn't dry all the way to um, seven o'clock or so when we have our first game. So it, it is, um, you know, it, it was one of the factors, I think somebody mentioned it about 10 minutes ago, like, you know, God, if it rains, we're sort of screwed. But um, yeah. It, it just looks like I really do hope that there's another tournament there because it does. It looks like an unbelievable place to play and to watch hockey. So hopefully that's something to come in the next few years. Well, I think George really enjoyed it. George came. George came to sort of view the um, the facilities before sort of awarding the tournament. To, or I'm not yeah. sure exactly how the process goes to award the tournament, but he certainly uh, sort of approved. That of everything before uh, it, it got sort of voted for, if you want. But uh, the rain factor is is a big one where if people agree to play when it's wet, then, you know, we're okay. And we a lot less stress is, I want to say stress is relieved. If guys don't want to play when it's wet, the, the problem is you, you can get a, uh, uh, call it a sport court that you can play with when it's rain on. But then where we have uh, the special roller so so we have i don't want to say special court but it's a, it's a sport court i play both roller and ball hockey here so that's why it's pretty slippery because it, it, you know you can skate and run on that court so it's, it's a tough dynamic to, to manage but certainly i'd be up for it i think it was a lot of fun yeah well i i will say now on an isbhf podcast that i want it to happen mm-hmm. i know that my, my opinion has absolutely no impact on what the ISPHF do but I, I'm going to put it out there so oh, you've, sure got, back. you've got sure. one vote it's not a very important <laughs> vote but you've got one 
Okay. And then just looking forward to the return of international competition and Laval 2022, what are the plans for the Bermuda Ball Hockey Association? What are the hopes and sort of how have preparations gone? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll chip in here. I think this year we've sort of, um, the same guy I talked about a little earlier on, uh, Frank Chalut, we, we reached out to uh, Team Canada assistant coach to sort of uh, get his feeling on trying to get, uh, have an outside coach help us out. So Pete Brodsky has, has historically been our head coach. He's done a great job bringing the team to where it is right now. Um, we certainly want to get back in there. And there's a clear goal of winning the B pool. I think everybody's on board with the strategy. Um, got a lot of boys that, you know, we weren't sure what the level of commitment would be, but, um, you know, maybe Laval, shorter flight, less vacation. You know, so we touched on that a little bit earlier. A lot less complicated going to Laval than to going to, um, you know, Czech Republic or wherever uh, on, on that side of the sea. The, um, as far as I was going, we, we've started practice a few weeks ago, scrimmages, uh, and they're hoping for it to get that coach to fly in for like a, a crash weekend, maybe like Easter or something like that. Uh, going well. Both boys are excited. It's fun to see all the smiles at the rink. And um, I, I think we'll have a pretty decent team. Uh, you know, quite a lot of guys committed. Um, now I just uh, want to bring our A game at the right time in, in June. Yeah, amazing. And I think as well, it's going to be so good to just get back to international competition with so the last tournament, the last men's tournament and women's tournament was obviously Kasiche. Um, and the fact that there's been nothing for two years, I think come the end of the tournament, even if some people are disappointed in where they finish in the tournament, it will just be so good to have been back out there. Absolutely. I think it's the same in the league. We've, we've got to cancel, you know, so many seasons just because of the uncertainty of the, you know, the COVID. I, I, Sully, aren't you on that team where they're, you know, basically they're the team winners for the last three years, like a couple older? Yeah, I, I, I keep on trying to make the point that we're, we're actually a dynasty now because uh, <laughs> we haven't been dethroned. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, everyone everyone is absolutely just chopping the bed to get to get yeah. back out on the rink. Um, and, and Bermuda has been, um, in, in COVID terms, I mean, fairly restricted um, compared to, to most other countries, I'd, I'd probably put it on par with the UK and Canada. Oh, okay. so, um, you know, we, we had to cancel games in January, for example. We just started again in February, and yeah. um, and everyone is, is just so excited to get back out there. No one's no one's really concerned about you know how it happens. Everyone just wants to get out there and play at this point. You know, yeah, absolutely. So it sort of feels like Laval and the other tournaments in the summer are basically just going to be a festival of hockey and a celebration of hockey. Exactly. That yes. at times becomes very competitive, but for most of it, will hopefully be quite a harmonious, <laughs> joyous occasion. Agreed. Sixty-minute spurts of competitiveness, and everyone else is exactly in between all friends. Yeah, definitely. And then, just finally, just to wrap up, if we look quite far down the line for the BBHA, where do we want to see it in five years' time? What What is a goal beyond Laval, if that makes sense? Uh, and, and, and for me, uh, I, I think the goal was very much to um, maintain the culture that we have 
uh, while growing. So, you know, that, that can be difficult. You don't want to grow to the point where you, 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 re, you lose what makes you you. Um, so I, I want to maintain our culture, but continue to bring more people into it and, and, and have them appreciate what we are at the same time. So measured growth. Yeah, sure. The That's other how, thing that we could look at doing is uh, potentially becoming a, a team. Call it an organization that um, is recognized by the International Ball Hockey Federation versus just, I think we're not quite the, uh, call it affiliation or association as it's, it's officially known. So, right, got you. A governing body oversight. Um, and, and that would include having a kids' leagues that would roll all the way up into the men's leagues and have it all under one umbrella. That would be that would be a good good achievement. Yeah, that'd be amazing. It's been really like honestly, I didn't know much about the BBHA coming into this, and it's been really enlightening for me. And I'm coming away sort of a, a big supporter of everything you seem to be doing. And I really hope that it is possible to have a few international tournaments on the island in the years to come. So thank you very much to you three for joining me. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks yeah, very thanks much for inviting us. Great talking with you. Thanks very much to you three. And thank you very much to everyone who has listened to this episode of the Floating Blue podcast. <laughs>Thank you for listening to this episode of the Floating Blue Podcast, hosted by myself, Ben Royal, and produced by Sambrook Wilkinson. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Floating Blue, then be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast streaming platform. You can find more content from the ISBHF across all of our social media platforms. On Facebook, you can find us at ISBHF, International Streets and Ball Hockey Federation, on Instagram, at ISBHF, on Twitter, at official ISBHF, and on our website, isbhf.com. So until next time, thank you very much for joining us on the Floating Blue Podcast. <laughs>